Welcome to the C Word, the Conservatives Podcast. Today we're talking about conflict and collections. I'm Jenna Mathiasen, an objects conservative based in Carmarthenshire. And I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservative based in Manchester. Hey guys, welcome to episode two. No, three, three. (laughs) Welcome to episode three. Seamless. I'll be able to edit that. Not to worry. <laughs> Chloe, has it been a long week? We're recording on a Friday night. People. No, it's fine. Everything's oh. fine. Oh, I was off on Monday. I don't know what's going on. It's, oh, oh, it's all good. It's all good. To help us with today's topic, we've got a special guest host with us. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, I'm Karen Logan. I'm a senior curator of history with National Museums NI. So I manage a team of curators that cover history archaeology and world cultures at the Ulster Museum and also the Ulster Transport Museum at Coltrane. But my own background would be more around contemporary history and curating the troubles. Oh, amazing. That's Brilliant. a big job. Love it. it. Is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Sometimes I feel like my schooling let me down in terms of contemporary history and like anything really past the world wars. They were sort of like, and then some stuff happened. Uh, now, <laughs> granted, this is Sweden, uh, so history works a little bit. No, it's like, the same in in England. Oh God, is it? That's yeah, that's yeah, worse. Yeah. yeah, I know it really is. It really <laughs> like, is. Given how much happened, England don't worry about is responsible it. for. Um, yeah, no, education in Essex in two thousand and one. Man, Stella, could be like, better. Absolute A plus. Yeah, I love it. Excellent. Oh well, I, I'm slightly distressed to hear that. To be honest, because <laughs> I was sort of hoping <laughs> yeah, it was regional yeah. to me. Yeah, no, um, no. So I really enjoy seeing uh, sort of more contemporary history. You know, like mm. anything from the World Wars on in museums, because then I'm like, I know way too little about this. This is where I want to be informed and think about stuff and be challenged and see stuff that you know matters to people in living memory. Not that the world wars aren't, you know, still in, just about in living memory, just about. Those are the things that we, you know, like really ought to be exploring more. Uh, so I do love seeing that in museums, just just as, a, just as like an aside, like I just love seeing that sort of stuff. Well, that's the thing that's really important here, isn't it? It's the living memory, because you can sort of say whatever you like about the Victorians. They're not going to answer you back. <laughs> to a certain degree, Yes. <laughs> Whereas now I have the experience of writing a caption and then standing beside the person as they read what I've written about. Oh them. no! Uh, that is very different. Yeah. Wow. That is a world apart, isn't it? Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. That's a lot of pressure. It is. It's a different challenge. I'm just keeping up to date because things keep moving on so quickly and yeah, yeah. it dates really quickly. But also, I guess, sort of capturing that those sorts of memories and the things that you know like before they fade from people's memories because ultimately you know like you know as all humans get older you know might remember things as vividly as we once did so i mean that's why i love oral history projects and stuff like that where we really capture people's impressions of what happened uh, and their stories of what happened like i think that sort of stuff is also so fascinating but then i'm a big audio geek as you might notice from running a podcast (laughs) (laughs) are you jenny what i can't see any sign of that (laughs) no definitely not that's Definitely not. <laughs> I think people find it so powerful as well to hear directly from somebody and just that personal. It is powerful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, definitely. Mm. It is. Definitely. And Chloe, but you work in a museum that does quite a lot of like contemporary collecting and stuff as well. So I want to hear from Karen first, but I've got some stories from PHM that I think would be interesting to tell because it's, mm. it's not the troubles, but it is Brexit. Um, mm. And there's, well, 
why what what are we why are we talking about this it's when we say conflict what do we mean interesting and i do like starting with a definition as you oh, yes. as you know so yeah i i guess i was thinking about this this actually all stems back to a talk that i attended many moons ago it was about displaying uh pieces of garment that uh were from essentially an assassination and like actually it's... showing them in you know in, in tatters uh and and displaying them as they are uh, as opposed to patching them up or like uh, maybe not overly stabilizing them because they were stabilized of course but you know like um displaying them in like a patched format or amended format uh because some some people thought that was more respectful to the person who'd been wearing it that they wouldn't want to be remembered as a martyr sort of thing and um, other people were like ooh. but it's really important that people know mm. that sometimes it goes this far uh, you know mm. like that sometimes these things happen and that's an important part of our of our history mm. um to my shame i cannot remember where in the world this was it it was not in a european country um but it was a really interesting talk and it just made me think of think of the sorts of decisions you have to make about collections when the stakes are of that sort you know like it's it's yeah. very different from something from way back in the day or someone's cat messed this up by accident yeah but <laughs> i know we make these sorts of decisions all the time really because we always yeah. decide on what we how far we clean something or what's an important part of the story but it just it just felt so extreme like no one had told me that these these could be the stakes sometimes and that mm. the, also the emotions that could be involved from the public because there's not there's never one side to a story there are always different parties involved in everything and the people had a lot of feelings and you know even even people who were like we're on board with you displaying this or like this is a good exhibition mm. still had vastly different ideas of how it should be presented let alone what you go on the caption right like mm. there were so many feelings involved and i just thought this is a great topic there will be many examples of this around us the things that are um maybe contentious or that are fresh in people's memories or that stir up a lot of emotions and i think they are really genuinely so important and ultimately sort of what art is in some ways is something that stirs up emotion and sometimes that sort of can be seen even in the social history side of things that is something that makes you feel something uh, and that can be annoyance or why is this here or it can be i resonate with this or it can be i remember this you know like there are so many so many responses you can have i guess that's it that's the core of this topic is sort of that mm. i thought that was so fascinating like yeah like i feel like that wasn't necessarily taught to us at the workbench uh, sometimes no but the example that is, is interestingly the example that was taught to us um was along the lines of do you wash nelson's jacket kind of mm. thing yeah and no, that's like, true that we did talk about that super interesting but also you know Again, further Victorians removed. don't answer you back. They don't really. Further removed. It I mean, it's yeah. still important and still a, obviously yeah. a really vital thing to talk about. But it, it has that distance in history. Yeah, but you're not going to have somebody's like daughter. No, no, it might be, <laughs> might be descendants the out there. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it could still be stakeholders of that nature. Exactly. But, yeah, 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 I'm not saying there are. There are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah. So you and Karen had a chat about the topic because of your work on 
Was it the specific exhibition? In See, I, I bumped into Hannah at a conference and I oh. thought it was just so interesting what she was talking about. Uh-huh. And, you know, particularly around the troubles. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to ask just for international listeners, just for like a quick blurb about what the troubles are, because I recognize that, uh, you know, we have listeners all over the world and they, they might not, might not be familiar, but I, I found that so interesting uh the way that she was talking about that so hannah put me in touch with karen uh, and, and and here we are and uh, talking about this so i yeah that's that's sort of how that bit started yeah so just a bit of background on the troubles i suppose we would tend to refer to it as a civil and political conflict that began most people would say 1969 and uh, most people would see the signing of the belfast good friday agreement in 1998 as drawing that period to a close so there are ongoing Tensions, of course, but yeah, it would be that kind of 30 year period of violence in which uh, over three and a half thousand people were killed, many more injured. But they also, the important thing to note about it is that it's contested in terms of the events that took place and significance, meaning and responsibility within that. And we would often say, like, within that, while we have a shared past, we don't have a shared memory. So there are different kinds of different perspectives, and it's kind of acknowledging those different perspectives as part of the challenge in curating that and bringing those together. Oh, I think that's such a good way of thinking about it. That's a, yeah, that's amazing. And I think that I hadn't thought about it as no shared memory before. And that is really because you're used to thinking, I mean, and I will talk about this with Brexit. I think of it as, well, there are the facts. You're displaying the facts, but they're not necessarily. What what are the facts? What What is what is if you're telling the story, then it's not just what is the story, but what is the story for different people and other people's understand, t- you know, different sides of the same coin. Yeah, we would often say we're trying to bring these multiple perspectives together and curate them responsibly in context. That we're not trying to get any kind of agreed narrative or consensus. It's, there is no consensus. Exactly. It's bringing those voices together in the same room and kind of just helping people to understand these different perspectives and begin to be more hospitable towards other narratives. I, mean, that's I love a, that's, that. That's like a beautiful thing, isn't it? To at least have a space where you can see the different perspectives, even if you don't mm. agree with them, but even start to get used to them. That's really good. Pluralism without bias is sort of the fact that you're bringing those together. We would encourage kind of critical thought and put some challenges out there, but we don't try and resolve it. It always makes me a bit wary, you know, when your museums aren't neutral and history is written by the winners. If you decide that there is no winner, there's this just this mutual history. Uh, that you have to take a completely different approach to, say, the perhaps handed down narrative of previous conflicts that are in hindsight written by whoever came out on top. And you might find that there are, you know, surviving stories from, uh, say, oppressed groups or things like that, you know, like squashed rebellions, all sorts of things like that throughout human history. You might find some of those accounts, but it's certainly not what is necessarily the, um, official version uh, of events for example so it's actually fascinating to sort of not have that official account hanging over you that you deliberately don't walk that path that's i think it's a really powerful thing yeah absolutely and it's still an evolving situation it's still ongoing inquiries there's still different things coming to light it's and because the exhibition travels and beyond doesn't end with signing of the belfast good friday agreement it goes right up to date so that lets us look at some of the kind of legacy issues you mentioned earlier around brexit or language, culture, all these different ongoing aspects that we're still still working through. Because this is a community as it exists today. Those yeah. are still sort of things that are, you know, still on people's minds. Shall we talk what? about the yeah. Troubles and Beyond exhibition as a case study for this work then? So what led to it? Was it a sort of um, 
accumulation was it always the plan to do the exhibition or was it accumulation of a number of different events or topics so there's already a troubles gallery there from 2009 when the Ulster Museum reopened ah. after refurbishment but that exhibition it was all kind of black and white images and text there were no objects in it mm-hmm. and it was very much the way you would have seen the troubles presented in the media kind of through the lens of a photojournalist um ah. and it was thematic mm-hmm. as well so um, from the point that it opened, it was quite heavily criticised, those limitations of not having the objects, not giving different perspectives, just what we were just saying, not giving a sense of what it was like to live there, not having colour for a start, made it most of our contemporary period of history, so no colour, no objects. So we knew that we had to address that. Uh, international visitors were actually a bit more positive. I think just maybe for them it was quite a sort of factual account, maybe more what they were used to seeing in the media, but mm-hmm. definitely criticism from, from local audiences. So when you had to address that so um and actually the process kind of began with colleagues of mine in art so there were a couple of art exhibitions art of the troubles and silent testimony that came um around 2014 2015 and the response to that kind of showed us how much there was a need for history to do more to address this um in the permanent galleries so uh, we applied to a uh, national library heritage fund as part of their collecting cultures program for the collecting troubles and beyond project so the exhibition was kind of born out of that project and the collection development and research engagement um, that came through that. So the aim of the project, it was to widen the scope of the collection, supported by greater uh, academic and community engagement in order to enhance the interpretation of our recent past. So it went on for about five years and yeah, the gallery was one of the outputs from that. So what did the... Um... Collecting cultures is also a, a project that um my museum <laughs> project okay. or or, or uh, event or funding body or whatever um uh, that my museum benefited benefited from I think in 2018 specifically on the the centenary for the um, women's vote um so who who funded this it was, was NHLF wasn't it yeah oh yeah okay so it was NHLF um, okay yeah so okay. it was am I right in thinking it's well, in financial encouragement to collect on a specific topic. Yes, I'm not developed... a funding person, so I'm bad at this. <laughs> yeah, we want to develop a particular area of the collection. Yeah. Um, for us, so it was just making that more representative and better mm-hmm. able to represent this sort of complex period of history and more up to date. Mm-hmm. We already had quite a strong political collection, but it was making it also more inclusive in terms of social cultural history and more up to date mm-hmm. as well. So that was an important aspect to it. And then we also built into the project um, not only the Troubles and Beyond exhibition, but other kind of temporary and touring exhibitions that helped mm-hmm. and the engagement around that and public engagement as well in terms of events and programming. And just having some of those conversations, like we were just saying about, you know, difficult objects. We had seminars around that. Like, is there anything we shouldn't include? If we are going to include, how do we present that? We had workshops and seminars around um, diverse voices and just that what we we're saying about bringing these different perspectives together in the one room. How do you do that responsibly? So. There was a lot of kind of engagement and just encouraging dialogue and just saying to people that we're working on this, please get involved, please come forward with your own objects and stories. So we viewed it very much as a process and a really open process. It wasn't to say, right, we've got this funding, we're going to close the gallery, reopen, and, and that's it, we're done. It was a really open process and still is. Um, the gallery's now been open just five years this week and we're still making Happy changes. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're still making changes and planning some more in the next couple of months and it was designed to be able to respond to feedback and be quite a dynamic space so oh brilliant were the things that people thought shouldn't be included in terms of objects i guess more than stories 
Although either actually, what, what, yeah. what was the sort of feedback that you got from people? We just had those conversations around the more difficult objects and came to the conclusion there wasn't anything necessarily we wouldn't include, but it was okay. just back to that point of how were you going to present it. And in some cases, we maybe had like an additional piece of text or we put it in a certain way um, in terms of how we presented and interpreted it. Um, mm. So things like, for example, some of the weapons or we had like a car bomb and we were looking at different types of oh, wow. sort of IEDs and um some of them it sort of showed the workings, like the wiring inside. Like there's a coffee jar bomb where you could see, and we were sort of having conversations around, do you want to present that to people? Like you can see how this thing is made. So it was conversations like yeah. that. Or the, so yeah, we had lots of those kind of conversations about that line as well in terms of whether you include any more graphic content or not. And some mm. people sort of spoke about, you know, communicating the horror. But I was always an advocate for, I want people to stay within that space. I don't want to make it so graphic or uncomfortable that people will leave. That people want to run away from it, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. There is something about the immersion of... um, You want to tread that line, don't you, between communicating the horror, as you put it, and... But you also don't want to give people PTSD. Not getting the horror in. Exactly. (laughs) There's responsibility in that too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That can be a really tricky balance. I remember um, going to some a a good talk. Uh, I want to say it was a police or justice museum oh, if you're listening to this i'm so sorry that i can't remember exactly what it was but please write in and tell me um <laughs> and they were talking about what if it would be okay to have for example weapons on display and if that would take away from thinking about the stories of the victims and things like that if it would almost you know like be more about sort of the things that were done to them as opposed to they were people and the reasons maybe that these sorts of crimes were committed and stuff like that so it's sort of about do we even include it because people expect it maybe but that doesn't mean that we should do that uh, and i thought these were really interesting mm. again sort of conflict adjacent questions where it's sort of about well what what is it that we want to be showing what is it we want to be telling people and just because we have this we may not want to put it on display and if we do we'll have to really think about how we actually do it what sort of objects did you collect during this time in the process of developing the exhibition? Yes, so there were different kind of approaches to the collection development. So we had that open call where we just went mm-hmm. out to people on the radio and press and everything and saying, you know, come forward with your objects and stories. So there were some quite um, personal items that came through that. Um, some were on loan, some were donations. Then we kind of targeted particular gaps that we'd identified in the collection. So we maybe made some sort of purchases of, of things that we were keen to acquire and things areas we were keen to develop. So some things as well around like LGBT history, for example, when you needed to develop that collection. So we approached um different organizations and just even through word of mouth and, and kind of the relationships that we built, um that kind of grew really naturally and really successfully in this kind of network where people were working with us, Queer Space in Belfast was an example and they donated part of their archive and then working with them and them recommending to others, you know, Belgian Museum's interested, they're collecting this material, give Karen a call. It was kind of spread really naturally and, and developed really well. And we're actually about to host out in the past LGBT History Festival again this year. And I'm really glad to be a partner in that. So it was things like that, trying to uh, encourage people to come forward and just put in that message out there that we were interested in representing people's stories. Because I think particularly with contemporary collecting, some people were sort of, oh, you wouldn't be interested in that. Or because it's maybe quite a common or simple mm-hmm. object. Like, yeah. oh, that doesn't go in a museum. That's just something that's like in my cupboard and 
We get that all the time. <laughs> yeah. So it was having those conversations with people to say, look, yeah. this is really important. And all kinds of things came forward. There was a race that a gentleman had kept. He had laid it in a skillin. Um, he was part of the boys' brigade. And he was bringing this um, to lay it in a skillin. And the bomb went off. He kept it. So there were things like that that had a sort of direct connection to the conflict. There were other things, sort of ex-service, um, ex-prisoners, um, all kinds of people coming forward. And some just more general around kind of the social history. Um, Jimmy Ellis's widow, the actor James Ellis, uh, came forward with an archive of um, objects related to his life and career, which is fantastic, really big collection. Um, so there were other kind of social sporting things as well um, and concert tickets, all kinds of things like that as well as um, things relating more specifically to the trouble. Are you collecting still on what's happening to this day? Yes, absolutely, yep. And we still have that call in the text uh, within the exhibition that says, you know, if you feel something's missing or if you have your own object stories, you want to come forward, and people still do. And we are still actively collecting and contemporary collecting around just ongoing, like even the pandemic and COVID-19. Um, we have a display on that. We work with a group and um, partnership with Eastside, um, partnership and East Belfast community group. And they kind of collected objects relating to their experiences of the lockdown, the pandemic. And together we developed this display that is called Pandemics Past and Present. So it looks at, yeah, COVID-19, but also comes back to things like tuberculosis and Spanish flu, um, using objects from our own collection. So there's sort of activity like that that's ongoing that kind of is helping people represent and explore their experience of the pandemic and do you collect because you do collect like a lot of contemporary collecting it um your museum chloe is that does that resonate with you that you were like getting things that people think (laughs) people think museums would never want because i feel like that's always how it is with modern stuff yeah yeah it really is and i think that it oh i've got some conservation stuff to say as well about that protest is in right true it in museums involved. and i don't really know when it started but i think it was it's at least in the last four years at mm. least maybe yeah longer so i think people are used to do you want this placard do you want these protest photos do you want this protest song but if it's relating to important people then like important activists, you're more used to thinking you might be interested in this because this is so and so's t-shirt or this is, you know, it has the celebrity bag feel, right? That they always want. Yeah, 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 exactly. But I think particularly sort of people who have always been dismissed by society often just don't really think of themselves in that way. And and mm-hmm. it's the exhibitions, for example, the um nothing about us without us the disability activism exhibition that we've got on at the moment it's the exhibitions that make people think oh wait what i'm doing is important or what i have been doing is important or that you know flag that i waved at this person or this you know ticket that i stole or illegally like stamped on something or you know that bit of activism that i did in the 80s and then forgot about is important so that's the it's not just about telling the story that you have collected as a museum it's also getting people to think about their own activism or their own life history or memories and put them more on a sort of pedestal of yes this is significant 
I, I guess I'd like to add to that is that it's probably difficult to appreciate how important these sorts of exhibitions can mm. be for people, especially if they feel disenfranchised. Yeah. Um, I sometimes harp on about like, where, where should, where would I ever give anything to? I'm an immigrant. <laughs> I'm not local <laughs> to anywhere. My local museum does not care what I have. You know, like it's, it's that, but it's that sort of feeling that is perpetuated mm. in many groups and in many, mm. you know, in many people for all sorts of different reasons. Like, why would anyone care what I've got? I don't fit the stereotypical donor to a museum, wh- mm. whatever the stereotype is in their head. You know, like I'm not a rich white person who owns loads of art. Why would anyone care what I do? You know, like it's, my ancestors it's that sort of in this thing. picture, something, something, something. Do you? Want to? <laughs> but you know, like why would they care about what I have and stuff yeah, like that, yeah. right? So it is genuinely so important, and I'm delighted every time I see an exhibition end with or start with please add to this we we need your stories because that is a much more powerful call than i think most maybe museum people realize like i I don't think you understand how powerful that can be your piece of history also matters also part of it well yeah Mm. it's part of the tapestry but it means so much to people then when they are included and they see their place within that yeah exactly our exhibition opened we didn't have a launch as such but we spent um, time after it opened, sort of inviting all the people that had contributed to come and see the finished exhibition to see how their contribution mm. had been used. And that was really important to take that time at sort of individual level and kind of walk people through, show them, have a cup of tea, go through. That's really important, especially for an exhibition on something like The Troubles to see where their part of the story fits into what we we're trying to do in that kind of bigger picture. Yeah, you know, exactly. Something I've been thinking about recently in terms of how best to try and capture and represent all those people's stories and experiences because yeah okay you have the object you have the caption stuff but when you're trying to explain it to somebody or i'm going around showing somebody the exhibition i'm aware of all that kind of backstory because i've met the person i know them i've spent a lot of time with them and it's like how do i kind of bring that forward for people to see all these kind of people that are in my head Mm -hmm. (laughs) that i have had all that interaction with and all those conversations with and to really kind of bring them forward that people get the sense of, of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have you found that your audience differs from your traditional museum going audience for this gallery, for this for this exhibition? Yeah, we find um the research we did after it opened that we were finding a lot of first time visitors and mm. um, people come in maybe specifically to see that. Um more international and also younger profile. So that's what we had to find at the start, um, which is interesting. And we still um, kind of record that kind of information and take feedback as well. And, and we're sort of working on how best to analyze that and almost trying to code the feedback as well in terms of like emotional responses and kind of digging into to what is coming through in those feedback forms. But yeah, in terms of the profile, younger, more international, more first time visitors. Oh, brilliant. I think which we've we've sort of found that as well with the Nothing About Us Without Us exhibition and, and people have sort of bought people who have been involved have bought their friends along and you know oh i had to drag them to the museum sort of thing and then they loved it kind of thing yeah. so it just interests me that the sort of um dip, you've got your traditional museum visitors and um then people that we sort of historically without knowing it have excluded from museums it's really interesting yeah and also um interesting this exhibition more families than you would have seen in the previous exhibition that i was talking about that was all yeah. black and white images and text definitely more families more kind of intergenerational conversations mm. going on which is great 
actually that was one of the things that was suggested in the feedback whether we could have like a different level of interpretation for kids and, and young ones because it's quite difficult i think for sometimes parents or grandparents getting asked difficult questions and how do they kind of explain this history so yeah as i mentioned earlier that my the, the experience that i'm bringing to this episode is um not really happened yet Obviously, Brexit has happened. Um, and as a museum, uh, about democracy that I work in and interestingly, what, what is the home of the labor history archive? Brexit is a, is a really interesting topic because it sort of politically divides the right wing and the left wing perfectly. Um, and that's the, that's the whole contention. It's also been a while now. It was 2016 and it's now 2023. We've been actively collecting and we have, we've got quite a bit of anti Brexit material because that is our traditional audience. And also the sort of, in terms of activism, the anti Brexit, uh, side of things is tends to be more you know more active there's more protests people make more stuff it seems and the pro-brexit side of things has been quite quiet so interesting i know and that's just how the different groups work which is you think think the people who essentially won would be more like have my stuff but (laughs) well that's the thing you've got the when you you saw the people's vote marches hundreds of thousands of people and mm. the pro-brexit marches were like yeah i suppose i guess there was more of people of... walking up and down and and it's it's yeah. sort of clearly the voting says that at least were equal parts in 2016 mm. and so that that interests me from a materials point of view like as a conservator as people working to put an exhibition together how do you, if you've do you got mainly one side, of, yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and if there is no, obviously, you've got all sorts of like newspapers. Flyers yeah, you get like newspaper. That. I guess you, you must have like leaflets and stuff where they're yeah. like, yeah, yeah. You should have gotten the bus. <laughs> <laughs> so no, people who don't know, hanger. there was a famous bus with the slogan. Uh, I don't have an air hanger. <laughs> I can't store you can that use physical anymore. scale to offset the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you know, there's a model of the bus. Could you get a model of the bus? <laughs> oh, God. Well, I do have two gigantic PVC printed banners. Um, oh, I mean, that's pretty big. Well, yeah. Um, they're fantastic. They're so offensive. Like, oh, they're, wow. They're, it's political cartoon. This. Well, it's political cartoon, which is, of course, supposed to be offensive. Yeah. Um, of course, and this yeah. is bringing in to the thing that I wanted to talk about as well, which is, God, they're going to get defaced, guys. I don't know what oh. to do about it. <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting. So I want we um it's not agreed, but I want to do um a decade on exhibition. Um, oh, and yeah. I sort that's of a good accepted idea. these ex- this these banners, thinking, okay, well PVC they're going to be yellow and sticky in like two minutes, so we better yeah. get them on display before that happens. Well, it's going to be the the ten years on soon, so that's fine. We'll do that. That's that's about as confirmed as it is in terms of um you know museum programming. Um, the people who actually are allowed to make the decisions have not said anything about that yet. <laughs> These things are like three meters square. I cannot oh, put wow. them in a in a case. There's two of them, so they're going to be on open display. They are going to get defaced, right? Quite high. 
Yeah, not can, high how enough. high can you hang them? Not high enough, I don't think. Uh, that's interesting. I sort of though. thought that you, because you're a banner hanging place, that maybe you had like very tall ceilings, but maybe not in the space you're thinking of. We do, but then that's that's a nightmare for accessibility, guys. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> and you can't True. touch them, but you also can't see them. Um, <laughs> good point. You might have to have a like a little replica for the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can deface this one. <laughs> <laughs> honestly i think that generally would be fine it's a space that um leaves room for a reaction it's maybe where i'm going it's with the, it yeah leaves room for a reaction i like that so we did i mean also... it's probably going to be abuse but yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean i mean people's reactions can be fiery um particularly on the topic of brexit karen have you had any problems along those lines in your gallery or and I'm I, I'm talking about the temporary exhibitions as well and the traveling yeah. stuff. Has has anyone disagreed physically <laughs> with the displays? Oh, nice way of putting that. <laughs> because it's yeah. one thing writing a cross review in the book, isn't it, or TripAdvisor, yeah. and yeah. dropping off to the cafe. But it's another thing getting your buyer to get out of market pen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can't say that we have. We do get challenges. We do get people that sort of. Maybe feel some things miss, missing or overrepresented or underrepresented. It seems mm-hmm. anybody would. We kind of try and respond to that. And as I said, the galleries were designed to be able to respond to that. So there was somebody that yeah. came forward and felt the peace train hadn't, well, first of all, said that peace movements hadn't been represented. So I'm back and we were discussing the, you know, there's, um, Marie McGuire's Nobel Peace Prize. There's all these different objects in the exhibition relating to peace movement. But then when I drilled down into it, it was actually the peace train that went between Dublin and Belfast he was talking about. And we actually didn't have much on that in the collection. So I was just saying to him, like, happy to include that, but we actually don't have anything. Do you have anything? And he was able to share his story and photograph as part of our personal testimony. So we could build that in. So <clears throat> it's kind of just working with people in terms of sometimes it's just a genuine gap in the collection. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like helping help us to tell that story then. <laughs> so mm. yeah. that was one where we were able to feed it back into the gallery and make that change quite quickly. But yeah, we do get all kinds of um, comments and we then put them on a screen. So there's sort of a station where you can give feedback, but there's an AV screen above that where we'll put the comments up for others to see. And that was part of, again, just trying to encourage that dialogue and conversation um, with our audience that you can respond to what somebody else has said or you can leave your own comment. Um, So even if it is something quite critical about the gallery, it will go up on that screen for others to respond to. I find Mm -hmm. that so interesting that you could have two people standing next to next to each other in a gallery with two absolutely opposing views and experiences of the same event or the same series of events and they both get a positive experience out of that and quite often we'll try and sort of juxtapose objects to get those different perspectives across as well um there's like for example in a central feature there's a bomb disposal robot that would have been used by army technical officers but right behind that is a bin lid that nationalist communities would use to warn of the army entering an area in the community so it's kind of like wow um, almost offsetting different attitudes um around in that case the army or there's a case on hunger strikes but within that is a poster that would have been carried in protests outside the prison that says the murderers had a choice the victims had none so it's quite often we'll try and and again in the security forces case there would be the sort of things that you'd expect like a rubber bullet cs gas handgun things that security forces were using but there's also a helmet that was worn by an officer it was struck in the head by a petrol bomb so it's like yes these are being fired but at the same time 
um, certain officers are being attacked. So it's, yeah, trying to bring those different perspectives together. Wow. You're sort of confronting people with the disagreement almost in a way that can't be disagreed with. It's spicy. (laughs) It is spicy. It's amazing. So one of the things that in my museum we often discuss, but we can rarely, well, we rarely have time. It's a sort of a space thing, but it's also a time thing. And that is, um, as a museum about, you know, modern politics, modernish politics, we want to be reactive to what's happening today. I suppose what I'm asking is, what's happening now? Because obviously things are all over the place, rather unsettled for a number of different reasons. Are you seeing a change in the audience? Are you seeing a change in the interaction? And is there anything, are you feeling the need to react to the news? I'm feeling the need to update the gallery, as I said, with contemporary uh, yeah, yeah. working in these kind of exhibitions. It dates so quickly. So mm, we have yeah. objects in there relating to Brexit and campaign for equal marriage. That's gone through now. So it's like already that needs updated. And in terms of sure, everything that's going on at the minute, relation to protocol and everything else. Yeah, that kind of thing. It's quite a challenge to keep pace with that because mm. it's still evolving all the time and it's there's almost like a bit of a lag there in terms of what we can then collect represent and then building that into the the content so i'm conscious at the minute that that final section at the minute the exhibition goes by um decade chronologically so that final section definitely my next priority would be to update that and that is a challenge because as soon as i do that it'll change again (laughs) but i think people understand that and i just to your point about saying is there a difference in kind of the reaction within the gallery that's not i'm not sensing that yet i think that might be something that comes through in the feedback because interestingly quite often the comments that come through sometimes yes it is something very specific on the exhibition but a lot of the time it's like a wider commentary on the kind of current situation or frustration with maybe a political stalemate at the time or whatever might be going on so some of that comes through in the feedback where it's actually not the exhibition that they're angry or frustrated at it's the wider kind of political process and yeah, it'd be interesting to see if those kind of comments start coming through and just in the conversations that we're having with groups and that kind of interaction in this space. For us, we're dealing with such a wide range and such a spectrum in terms of the extent to which people were affected by the troubles. Yeah. And also like where people are with that in terms of it's so, it's so individual and so personal. Some people are really ready to engage with that kind of history. Some people don't want to come anywhere near when we were doing the engagement around it. I was meeting people, you know, doing outreach in the community. People were saying, whatever that exhibition looks like, I'll not be coming to it. Whatever you put in it. Wow. The fact that it's on the troubles, I'm not coming. So you're kind of dealing with everything from that to people. I've had a guy come in who has PTSD that came in with a support worker and said how much it helped him because that's where the context of what happened to him, it's where it makes sense for him. And his story is one of the personal testimonies. And he said it it really helps him to know that's there. Mm. So some people find it really useful to be in that space and to explore some of what happened and some people yes say they're not going to cross the front door so you've got such a spectrum in terms of Mm. how ready people are in that sense and how they accept to which people are affected and even in terms of the um i mentioned earlier about the feedback forms where we take comments and one of the final questions is do you have a story that you want to share and more than one person's written not yet so it's like they've walked around they've looked at the exhibition they do have something 
but they're not ready to share it yet. And that's absolutely fine. And maybe they'll come back. Maybe they won't. Mm. Yeah, but and not yet isn't a completely closed door. I think that's no. interesting. It still leaves something ajar there. That's that's yeah. cool. That's uh, quite positive in some ways. You know? Yeah. Mm. So I don't know where this would fit in um, any episode, but I'm in Cairo and I've just gone into the National Museum of Egyptian Civilization and it's a new museum. It's not the, the new museum. And I just wanted to record something because it's just an immediately magnificent experience and space. So I believe at the moment it's just one room with underneath stairs going down um, where the royal mummies are and they are sitting directly underneath an inverted pyramid which is just really really beautifully done and they're labeled the royal mummies in two languages so it's not one of these like surprise things and there's a sort of well there's a weird light show kind of arena situation just before you get to them but i'll go down there in a in a, in a bit and see what that's like um, so it's one big room with that at the centre of it and, um, wow, some two huge textile pieces to my left and large cases. The light levels are beautiful. Um, some open display stone, mosaic, and I'm just blown away, actually, to be honest. I kind of want to cry. I don't know why. It's just gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, oh, and this oh, naturally first case is some rather <laughs> rather fun mounting of stone tools in perspex of like one centimeter, bit more. Yeah, like twelve mil perspex, and they're in cutouts with little arms to keep them in place. That's really interesting, and some skeletal remains. I'm gonna, not going to go through the whole thing, obviously, but it's just a timeline. It is a timeline, guys. Um, yeah, beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous mounting, all perspex as far as I can see. Beautiful, beautiful. Well done, whoever's involved in this. Mwah. Chef's kiss. So I've gone down into the Royal Mummies display area and they've set it up as though it's a tomb so everything is black marble and you're funneled around and you're not allowed to take photos or touch or any of the things. Um, it's all really uh, sensitive um, and replicating I suppose how they would have been laid to rest. The people would have been laid to rest to begin with, with the name, information about the person's life and then the um oh i can't remember the name of the 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 symbol in the oval you know the name in the oval can't remember the words right now they're really nicely displayed they've each got their own data loggers in them and they're on little tyvek mattresses shaped to fit in the cases and it's really nice it's really nicely done i just don't know how i feel about them not being where they were left I've not really ever felt like that before but you know this is as sensitive as it can be as sensitive so wonderful okay some more thoughts um, there seem to be like specific ways that 
some of them are displayed, like one covered by a seal, star ceiling, because that's what they discovered in the tomb, one in a sort of pit in the gallery, different orientations, that kind of thing. And I'm wondering whether that's... Uh, even so far as the the orientations and stuff, is that because of that's where they were pointing in the tombs that they were found in? And yeah, that's the I mean that's the impression that this gives, and it's really wonderful that this. It's not necessarily for the visitors. It's not explained. <coughs> it's not pointed out like the star ceiling isn't pointed out, but it seems to be for the people, the um, individuals who were buried here. Are they buried here now? Is this their final resting place? Is this a halfway house? <laughs> Friend Virginia is laughing at me. Is this a far? Uh, is this a halfway house to to reburial? I hope so. Um, so I thought we were done. We had cake. <laughs> we were heading to cake. And then the, uh, there was a, a nice man in front of another set of doors. And he said textiles and i said huh uh, and turns out there's a whole textiles hall and i'm standing in front of it behind the little screen so i don't actually know what it looks like so i'm gonna have a look at it now <laughs> and, oh my god it's huge <laughs> it's huge <gasps> and there's a top floor i mean an, an upstairs there's a wow that okay oh nice big rug hung over two floors oh and there's the tent makers stuff which is a little a, a, it's applied work but it's it's a little bit like quilting suppose, a bit. I'm gonna have a look at it oh my god oh it's wonderful mounted costume mounted open display costume brave I wonder what the cleaning is like on that oh yeah oh yeah perfect depictions of oh hello tracy hello <laughs> i'm recording again for the podcast <laughs> laughs silently so it's not to be heard <laughs> uh, it's depictions of cloth and um textiles manufacture and depictions of clothing of course obviously um and bed coverings and descriptions of the type of fiber and dyes and oh aket otep is wearing a long garment Decorated with a representation of the goddess Pat Hathor. The design of the garment refers to the wearer's wealthy priestly profession. It shows that Egyptians had distinct uniforms of different occupations. <gasps> oh, nice mounting system. Love a tea bar. Love a tea bar. Can't go wrong. Open display costume cleaning verdict. All right. It's all right teeny bit dusty in places but it's clearly maintained really nicely some really gorgeous little shoes as well and then descriptions of ah the shoes of the single lady and widow's shoes amazing i sound rushed because i am rushed because the museum is closing in 30 minutes and we still have to do the gift shop um and i didn't know it was here so i'm in a rush but still wanting to record thoughts hey guys jenny here as much as we love creating this podcast it's not a paying gig 
But with your help on Patreon, we can continue producing new episodes and bringing you these kinds of conversations that hopefully inspire and inform. Your support means the world to us uh, and helps us keep going, doing what we absolutely love, even though we don't actually get paid for it. Speaking of which, I just want to extend a really warm welcome to our latest patron, Beth. Thank you so much for joining our absolute bunch of champions. And if you, like Beth, would like to join us and support our work, then you can go to patreon.com slash the C word. And for as little as $1 a month, you can help this show keep going. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening. With the C word, and you've been listening to Karen Logan, Chloe Rumsey, and me, Jen Mathiason. Join us next time for an episode about working with adult learning. In the meantime, check out our website at theseaword.show, tweet us at theseawordpodcast, find us on the Fediverse at theseawordpodcast at glamorous, or simply email us on theseawordpodcast at gmail.com. Intro and outro music is Spring by Diddy Music, used under Creative Commons Attribution License. Additional music and sound effects by Callum Robertson. This has been a Wooden Dice production.